thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. Essentials, four keys to a growing faith. And last week, Pastor Jason kicked it off with talking about knowing God, the importance of for us as people to know God. What, not, not know about God, but to actually know God in a real way, have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We're not talking about religion, but we're talking about relationship. And so over the next three weeks, today I'm going to talk to us about finding freedom. What, what does that mean? Is it, is it some elusive thing? Is it something that's out there and we hope with the right formula we can find it and it'll work and we can be successful? L- let me just say this from the onset and then we're going to pray. When we're talking about freedom, we are not talking about a feeling. It, it is not a feeling, and I think sometimes we, uh, we struggle because we, we, we might say to ourselves, well, I don't feel free. I don't feel like I'm free. A- actually, when we're talking about freedom, we're talking about the knowledge of what God says. So we're going to look this morning at what God says about freedom. That, okay, if we get our answers from the Bible, you okay with that? Are you okay with that, if we get our answers from the Bible? Okay. So we're going to find out about what it means to find freedom, and actually, the truth is freedom has already been provided. We need to accept it, we need to understand it, and then we need to walk in it. Over 6,000 years ago, God said through Moses, tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Let them go. And I'm sure when he said that, there was some passion behind his voice. When God spoke that to Moses, I'm sure Moses didn't come up to Pharaoh and say, Pharaoh, maybe you ought to think about praying about maybe letting these millions of people go. I'm sure there was such conviction because when God said, let my people go, it wasn't just about a physical freedom, although that was important. There, there was something more to that. And what we're going to talk about today is, is what it means to be free inside, free internally. We live in a great free nation. The truth is we live in the freest nation on planet Earth. But what we're going to talk about this morning is what does it mean to be free internally? What does that mean, and how do we live that out? Because the, the challenge sometimes can be for us when we live in a great and a free nation. We can look at one another and say, man, you got it all together. you got a great job. you got a great house, you good home, good family. It's all together. But the fact of the matter is that's not always true. Sometimes we struggle and we, we battle because we're not experiencing the freedom that God has already provided for us. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask that the Spirit of God would speak to your heart like you would mind. God has this amazing way of being able to do that. You can be in a room with hundreds of people, and God can just dial in and zero in right on my heart, right on your heart. Aren't you glad for that? So why don't you put your hand on your heart, and we'll pray this morning. God, in Jesus' name, as we come this morning, we say that your word has authority over all things. And so, Father, this morning, as we look to your word, We are declaring that it is not about what we feel. It's not even about what somebody else might have told us. It's not even about maybe what we've believed all of our lives. Father, our desire is to walk in the truth of what your word says. So I pray, Lord, as we open your word now, that, Lord, it would be rightly divided, that you be glorified, and, Father, that we receive what is on your heart for us this morning. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Okay. 
John chapter 8, here's where we're going to start. John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. So these are the words of Jesus. So if they're the words of Jesus, pretty sure we should listen, yeah? Okay, you're going to have a job today. Say, I've got a job. And here's your job, and it's not going to be a hard one, but at strategic times during the message, you're going to need to say with me, are you ready? Do you want me to tell you what it is? The truth is, practice that. That was about a C. Do it again. That was a B. Do it one more time. Okay. So when I point, you're going to say what? I forgot. Thank you. Okay, here we go. John chapter 8, verses 31 through 36. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings, you're really my disciples. Now, I want you to notice what he doesn't do. He doesn't say, if you've heard what I've said. He uses this term. Jesus said, if you hold to my teachings. So, something to be said for when we hear the truth and when we know the truth, there is a responsibility that is ours. And that responsibility is that I've got to hold on to what he says. So, Jesus says, if you hold on to my teachings, then you are really my disciples. Then he says this, you will know the truth, and the truth, listen to these words right here, will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Anyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Now look at this next verse, the words of Jesus. John chapter 15, verses 12 through 13. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. So I want to start off this morning talking about how it is that we find freedom. So your job is what? One more time. Here it is, point number one. Say it one more time. You're doing good. Freedom is found in the context of relationship. Relationship with God and relationship with others. If you want to be free, it is found in the context, first of all, with our relationship with God. When God comes into your life, I want you to remember when you gave your life to Christ. I want you to remember what that experience was like. Those of you that are in the family of God, what that was like when you gave your life to the Lord and you experienced that for, the same, for that very first moment. It, it didn't matter what your economic status was. It didn't even matter physically what you were experiencing. Something transformational happens when you experience that freedom and you realize that you're in a relationship with God. But the truth is you walk that out that freedom in the context of relationships with other people. You will not be successful in walking out your relationship with God if you try to do it solo. It's not going to work. You, you can try it, you can attempt to do it, but you're going to be frustrated and you're going to be discouraged. Jesus said, lay down your life for one another. Jesus did that. Jesus laid down his life for one another. Greater love has no one than this, that they lay down their life for one another. You were created to be in relationship with God and with other people. So as we go through this message this morning, I, I want to challenge us with this truth. I said a minute ago, we could be in this room right now, 
and look like we have it all together, and in the inside, we could be shriveling up and dying. The, the danger sometimes when you live in a free country like we do is that we work hard at perception. We really do. We work hard at perception. I, 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 just, I was blessed right after the service because a young lady walked up to me after the service, and I, she said, I know you don't know me, but she said, I, I just want you to know I was running through your neighborhood about six months ago, and I was just jogging by, and you were in your front yard, and you said hi to me. And she said, you, you, you don't know that I go to Faith Bible Chapel. But just that you would say hi to me changed my whole day. And I thought, God, how many times, after she said that to me, I thought, God, how many times in my life has my life been changed, my moment been changed, my hour been changed, my day been changed, my week been changed by somebody who practiced a random act of kindness and just went out of their way to show me the love of God. Listen, we cannot be free if we are not doing it in the context of relationship with one another. I want to read some stats to you this morning because this to me is sobering and it's alarming and I think sometimes we like to think that we're insulated in the church world. We live in the church world and so we're within the four walls of the church and so we're exempt from some of the realities that are outside of the four walls. But in case we are exempt from those realities outside of the four walls. Let, let me just tell you what some of those realities are. Tobacco every year is a $168 billion industry. Addiction to alcohol is a $27 billion, with a B, dollar industry every year. Illicit drugs, $11 billion every year. Prescription opiates, $26 billion every year for an astronomical grand total of over 300 billion. What in the world is going on outside of the four walls where, where billions and billions of dollars are being spent to mask or camouflage the pain of this world? It's a lack of freedom. It's a lack of walking in what God has already provided. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. How? If you hold to my teachings. Holding on to what God has already done is key to all of that. Listen to this, in case we don't know what's happening outside of our four walls. Suicide in the United States has surged to the highest levels in over 30 years. The rise was particularly steep for women. It was, a, it was also substantial among middle-aged Americans, sending a signal deep of deep anguish from a group whose suicide rates had been stable or falling since the 50s. The suicide rate for middle-aged women ages 45 to 64 jumped 63%. 63% over the period of this study, while it rose by 43% for men in that same age range. The overall suicide rate rose by 24% from 1999 to 2014. The increase were so widespread that they lifted the nation's suicide rate to 13 per 100,000 people, the highest since 1986. Now listen to this. Over 20 million Americans over the age of 12 have an addiction, and that's excluding tobacco. Over 20 million. 100 people die every day from drug overdose, tripled in the past 20 years. Over 5 million ER visits every year are drug-related. Over 90% of people with addictions began using before 
they were 18 years old. So there is a pandemic outside of these four walls. And the fact of the matter is, until the church becomes aware of that, but until the church can embrace the fact that the church is filled with VMPs, very messy people, say, I'm one of them. Yes, you are. I am too. The church is filled with very messy people. If we do not get to the place where we experience the freedom that God has already provided and we choose to do it in the context of relationships, we will miss out on what God wants to do in our lives. Why would we do that? Why why would we rob ourselves of walking out what God has already provided? Part of the reason is we don't want people to see that we're undone or messed up. We have to get past that. Would you agree that we have to get past that? Because the truth is, God has provided that freedom and it's found in the context of relationships. Not hiding. Not hiding or hoping you can beat it on your own. So I I want us to go through a few things this morning. And you have a job. What's your job? I forgot. There you go. Let's look at number two. Point number two. Go ahead. Your job. Finding freedom requires a fully surrendered life to God. A fully surrendered life to God. What what does that look like? What does that mean, a fully surrendered life to God? Look at what Paul says in Galatians chapter 5. Now, when Paul was writing the, the church at Galatia, this was a church of people that had become free. They had accepted what Jesus had done. Maybe some of them had even experienced Jesus firsthand. But they had become free. They had accepted the work of Jesus, and so they're walking that out. But the book of Galatians, which is a prison epistle, Paul writes it while he's in prison. He's writing because Paul is seeing and hearing from a distance people are struggling again. People are being bound up again, and they're struggling with things that maybe they had been free from at one time. And I want you to notice what he says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Now notice what he says here. Stand firm. Stand firm, there's something about posturing ourselves in this real world that we live in that we better stand firm. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves, now notice what he says here, be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Paul is talking here to people that have been freed. They've been freed by the work on the cross. They accepted Jesus came, he died, and he rose again for me. But here Paul is saying, don't be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. So it's possible, according to the Scriptures, remember Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. If you hold on, say, hold on to my teachings. Holding on to the teachings of God. It's possible to be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Paul says it. So we've got to choose to live this fully surrendered life to God. God, I'm choosing to live fully surrendered to you. It could look different for you than it does for me. But when we look in the mirror and we're honest with ourselves, we know what our struggles are. Very rarely does somebody not know what their struggle is. And we're going to look in just a moment here at this strategy of the enemy because I promise you it's well executed and it's sophisticated and it's thousands of years old. And if you don't know it and I don't know it and we're not ready for it and we don't pay attention, it's going to eat our lunch. And it's going to take us out. So so we have to pay attention to it. The truth is, help me out here, what's your job? Look at number three. The truth is, there's three fronts where this battle for freedom is fought. It is the world, the devil, and the flesh. 
Let's look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. Paul says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world. That's one of Three, that's one of the three parts of this system, the ways of the world. The world that we live in is anti-God, true? It's set up against the system of God and against the Word of God. When you follow the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of this air, that's Satan, the spirit who now is at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its evil desires and its thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. First, by the grace, or by the grace, you have been saved. By the grace of God, you have been saved. So here's what Paul is saying in Ephesians. There is, against you and I, a well-executed game plan. How many of you like football? You watched the Broncos last night. It's okay. It's not unspiritual to say you like football. The Broncos are going to be starting up again here in a couple weeks. And they if, are going to be successful this year in football. They have got to excel in three phases of the game. Offense, defense, and special teams. If they do not excel in those three phases of the game, they will not be successful. The Bible tells us in Ephesians that there is a well-executed game plan set up to take you out. And it is the world. It is the devil and it is the flesh. So that is a well-executed game plan set up to take you out. Now, it is true in sports and I believe it's true in our walk with God. It is true that not always the best team wins. There are times when the best team loses. All you got to do is study sports history. There are times when the best team loses. And oftentimes, the reason the best team loses is because it underestimated its opponent or it was underprepared. That's why. It either underestimated its opponent or it was underprepared. So here's the game plan set up against you, the world, the devil, and the flesh. That's that team set up to take you out. Here's the team you're on, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Hello, right? So, on paper, which team's better? I, I want to be on the team of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? So, here's that team, and here's this team over here, the world, the devil, and the flesh. If we don't understand how that thing is strategized against us in this life, it is going to be very difficult for us to not only find the freedom that God's provided, but experience it and walk it out. Because I said already, you're not going to be able to do it in the context of isolation. Freedom is found in the context of relationships. People, oh, I, I can just do church at home. I, I can get everything I need out of church at home. No, you can't. Can I just be honest with you? No, you can't. And if you believe that, you're full of baloney. It's okay to say baloney in church? You cannot do it on your own. You need other people in your life. You need people that are going to help you when you're stuck. So, what's your job? This statement is on your outline. Because there is a freedom we receive, there is a slavery we must reject. Paul said, don't be burdened again. 
So a freedom has been provided, but that means there has to be a slavery that we continue to reject. I'm not going back there. There's no way I'm going back there again. There's no way I'm going back there again. That, that's what, and so there's this, there's this dance or there's this battle in our minds where we have to say, okay, I've been set free. God has set me free. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. But, but then there's this battle to live that out. And because it's fought on those three fronts, the world, the devil, and the flesh, we need to look at those three things for just a couple minutes today. And we need to find out if those things are infiltrating our lives. Are those things having an impact or an influence in our lives? And if they are, then we better do something about it. So point number four is, what's your job? One more time. Very good. Find freedom. The truth is we find freedom and we reject slavery by confronting sin. We don't like to talk about that all the time. Confronting sin. What in the world is confronting sin? Confronting sin is looking at that thing in your life that puts that distance between you and God, that thing that, that God paid the price for that we let keep creeping back in to our lives. That sin, look at Ephesians chapter, look what Paul says in Ephesians or in Galatians. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back on to the right path. Can't tell you how many times that has happened for me. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Now notice here, I just said a few minutes ago that freedom is lived out in the context of relationship. When Paul here is dealing with sin and talking about confronting sin in our life, he says, share each other's burdens. And in this way, you obey the law of Christ. If you think you're, going, you're too important to help someone, you are only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Wow. Here's what happens oftentimes when, when, we, when we're thinking about the sin issue. Every year we have res resolutions. December comes along and you get a, a January resolution that you're going to do this or you're going to do that, whatever it is. And, and we set out with a resolution. A resolution is not going to help you confront sin. A resolution is all about behavior modification. That, that is not what we're talking about. When, when we're talking about confronting sin, we're talking about repentance. Because repentance is about character transformation. So when, when you're looking at behavior modification, you're talking about resolutions. When you're talking about confronting sin, it comes through repentance. That thing that God reveals that is in our life, we repent of it. God, forgive me. God, help me to walk out of that. And then the Bible says we share one another's burdens. This is why you cannot do it on your own. You don't just do it with Jesus. Stop saying it's just me and Jesus. That's not biblical. You need the body of Christ. He is the head and we're the body. It is the metaphor in the scripture that he laid out. James, we just got done studying James. James says if you confess your sins to God, you're forgiven. But when you confess your sins to one another, you're healed. We need both. We need to confess to God because then we'll be forgiven. But you have to have people in your life. Who are the who in your life that you're coming to when you're struggling? 36 years ago, I moved into the student residence. House that's still on the property. 
where young people have moved in and out of that house. I don't know how many hundreds of people have lived in that house, but I moved into that home just days after giving my life to the Lord, after getting out of the Marine Corps, just days. And I'm in the house with 30 people. And something very profound happened to me in that home just days after I moved into that home, and it was this. Two days after giving my life to the Lord, how many of you know that two days after giving your life to the Lord doesn't mean you got it all together? <laughs> right? Maybe two decades, three decades, three plus decades, I still don't have it all together. But I remember very, I remember many profound things happening to me as a young man, but one thing that I remember that was very profound to me is we were down in the basement, we were playing ping pong, and there was about 30 of us that lived there at the time. Girls lived upstairs, the main area was the common areas where the kitchen and the uh, dining room were, and the men lived in the basement. We were all down in the basement and playing different activities and games, and I was playing ping pong, and a friend hit me with a ball, and I, I just snapped. It snapped and just went over the table at him and um, just found myself just being uh, very violent. And I remember the pastor snatching me up. Somebody said to me the other day, if you say pastors snatch you up, you could probably get in trouble for that. And we're, we're, we as pastors on staff here, I just want to tell you, we're not in the habit of snatching people up. We don't grab people. We don't put our hands on people. I, I just want to throw that out there, okay? We, we, we don't do that. We don't, we don't do that. But just so happened that that pastor not only put his hands on me, but he slammed me into the corner of the wall. And he said something to me. And it wasn't so much what he said to me that had the greatest impact on me, although that had a great impact on me. But what had an incredible impact on me was that as I was slumped in the corner with the sheetrock broken out of the wall, and the 30 people that had known me 48 hours or less down in the basement thinking, this is a crazy man and he lives in our house. This is a crazy man. How can you let a crazy man live in our house? We don't even know him and, and, you're, and he's doing this kind of stuff. And, and, and one by one, and I, and I promise you, I promise you this, this began to change my life forever. Very, very significant to me. One by one, those people who didn't even know me came up to me and said things to me like, Blake, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. We love you. How, how in the world do you say you love somebody when you don't even know them and they're, they're losing their mind? How do you do that? But, but God used that in my life to show me that if I was going to be successful in walking out this relationship with him, then I was going to have to do it with other people that love Jesus but that were people with skin on. And, and doing, doing life together in the context of relationship. It's really the only way that you can confront sin is when you have people in your life, of course God's going to reveal it to us, but then holding one another's arms up to walk it out. It is one of my favorite things to do. One of my favorite things to do is, is to come alongside people and help them along their journey. And, and here's why I like to do it. For 30-something years, people have done that for me. For 30-something years when I'm stuck and I don't have the answers and, God, help me. Will I ever get out of this? And a word comes, a word of comfort or a handshake or a text or a phone call or something and all of a sudden you're just hit with that revelation that, man... God already has me in mind. And he's sending people along my path. Do you have those people in your life? It can be hard to confront sin and walk it out if you don't. 
really hard. It is not about behavior modification. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. It's about character transformation. God, work in my heart. Work in my heart, Lord. I'm not, I'm not arrived. Can you say amen to that? I've not arrived. So, Father, help me. So, where, who's your community? Where's your who? I read a book several years ago called Multipliers. And the book was radical for me. I did an eight-week series on it. And the premise of that book was in life, people are one of two things. They're either multipliers or diminishers. And I, think, I thought as I read that book, it was a secular book, great book, but I thought as I read that book, who was the greatest multiplier in the history of humanity? It was Jesus. Everywhere he went, he added value to people's lives, and he multiplied because he spoke into their lives. And I remember thinking, God, would you help me to do that? Help me. Others have done that for me for 30-something years. Help me be a multiplier, not be a diminisher. Because I need you and you need me. The truth is, we have to reject that slavery and we have to confront sin. Go ahead, it's your job, your turn. One more time. Find freedom, reject slavery by crucifying the flesh. So we confront the sin in our lives, but we also crucify the flesh. I want you to notice what Paul says here. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not think it's an accident that Paul used the metaphor of crucifixion. Paul, in his lifetime, I wonder how many people he saw crucified. Here's what we know is true about crucifixion. It is a slow, agonizing, painful death. And the truth is, when it comes to crucifying the flesh, it is a slow, agonizing, painful death. Some of us in this room have struggled with things for weeks, months, years, and even decades. And, and, and we, Paul, but Paul uses this metaphor about crucifying the flesh. Sometimes the, the, the death to flesh is slow and it's painful. But here's my challenge. When you have people speaking into your life and you have people that love you and you have people that care about you and they put their arm around you when you're struggling and you fall on your face, and I don't mean that literally, maybe, but you fall on your face and all of a sudden you show up and they're on their face and you show up. I can't fix it for you, but I'm going to sit here with you. Maybe I can't fix it for you, brother. I can't fix it for you, sister, but I'm going to sit here with you. I'm not going to do anything for you except let you know that I love you and that I'm here. That, that is how the body is supposed to be functioning. That, that is how we need to be functioning, and it starts with you and me. You can't wait for the other person to do it. You, you have to step out. I have to be willing to step out. And I have to choose when I get up, Lord, I'm going to crucify my flesh. Help me. Give me the strength. I can tell you there's not one person in this building that has arrived at perfection. Not one person. Not one of us. We're all struggling. We're all battling. The question is, what are you doing with those struggles and what are you doing with those battles? Next scripture. 
You have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom. Here it is again. Use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. The Spirit gives us the desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, the battle between the flesh and the Spirit. So you're not free to carry on your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. The love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, the gentleness, and the self-control. So, so here's what Paul is doing in the context of talking about sin and, and dealing with those things that are burdening us and those things that are bringing us back into slavery. He's saying, get somebody in your life. First of all, accept what God has done, but then get other people in your life and walk it out and live it out in the context of relationships. What happens is we struggle and we fall into sin, and then the appetite of the flesh is aroused by the sin behavior. And so you've got this sin behavior that fuels the appetite of the flesh, and there's this battle that goes on back and forth. And Paul is saying in the midst of that, bring somebody in. Share one another's burdens. Carry one another's burdens. Pray for one another. It's vitally important that we do it. Vitally important. I want to read just a couple testimonies to you. On Monday, I went to a potluck for the healing room. They know how to do that potluck thing, by the way. And uh, as, as I just interacted with the folks there who show up every single Monday night to pray for whoever shows up at the healing room. No matter what's going on in somebody's life, the healing room is available for people to show up. And I said, would you just give me a few testimonies so I can just share a few testimonies of what it's like when people are doing life with one another? Two weeks ago, a young 12-year-old boy came up full of worry and anxiety. His mother had recently gotten remarried. The boy had taken on all the worries of his siblings and extended family. He had been prayed over and he had accepted Jesus and immediately felt the love of Jesus and the worry lifted. Can you imagine that? 12-year-old boy comes to the healing room carrying these burdens. They pray for him. He gives his heart to the Lord and he lets the worries go. Where did he experience that? In the context? Yeah, give the Lord a hand. Context of relationship. I have suffered from drug and alcohol addiction for 25 years. Two weeks ago after praying and fasting, I was healed from all addiction. Two days later, my doctor said my blood was irregular and I might have a disease. After meeting with the healing room team, four days later, all tests came back negative. God healed my mind and my body supernaturally. Amen. 
So bring this statement up. Next statement, please. Positionally, freedom was paid for on the cross. Practically, we walk it out through daily crucifying the flesh. So positionally, our sin was paid for, but practically, we walk it out by crucifying the flesh and being in relationship with one another. Let me give you the last point. Number six. There you go. I know it's lunchtime and you're hungry. Do it one more time. Might be the last time I ask you to do it. Good. Find freedom. That's good back there. Reject the influence of the world. Reject the influence of the world. Look at, look at John in 1 John. Here's what 1 John chapter 2 says. Do not love the world nor the things the world offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from the world. The world's fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.